0: Welcome to this week's sermon from C3Church, Narara. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information on our church, visit c3church.narara.net. Thank you, Chris. You may be seated. Bless you. Thank you for that warm welcome and uh, introduction as well. Really love your pastors, love their passion for their family. Had a great drive up from the airport yesterday with, uh, with Chris and we're talking about family and he's telling me all about his children and what a great family you guys have. I love the fact that you've focused your life on raising fabulous family and also congratulations on your new building here. When I came last time I think we were in the cafe and everything else was messy <laughs> but now you're in your building, you're in a great auditorium, and uh, got nice com- comfy chairs, aren't they? I'm a bit worried about you going to sleep. Very comfortable chairs, but uh, your pastors have led you brilliantly for many years here on the Central Coast. Raise a great family, passionate for Jesus, passionate about shepherding you and loving you. Why don't you give your pastors a huge round of applause and bless them this morning. Yeah, just a little bit more sugar. For the pastors, I do. Um, I do have a proverb in life: "Happy pastor, happy life." It's true. Who, who would like to be in a church with a grumpy pastor? No one, no one. So if you if you get a little bit ticked with your pastor every now and again, uh, it's okay. The Holy Spirit has a tick removal business ministry. He can get rid of that tick and love your pastors. They'll. Upset you every now and again. I pastored in that church for 30 years, and I think I upset about two people over 30 years. Yeah, probably about 2,000 probably, uh, thousands of them probably upset. But whenever you get upset by your pastor, forgive, love, bless, encourage, strengthen your pastors, it'll strengthen you and your family and your church. I think it's a great truth of the Christian church. I want you this morning to think of your current biggest problem. You probably thought, hello, I came to church to get encouraged and to forget my problems. I want you to think about your biggest problem. I want you to get it from wherever you've got it tucked away. It might be hidden under a carpet somewhere. Maybe in a black hole. I want you to pull it out and bring it out. It might be a relational problem. It might be a family problem. It might be a financial problem. It might be an attitude problem, something that you constantly feel like I just never get on top of that hard issue. It might be a business problem. It might be a work-related problem. School. Maybe a neighbour. What is it? What's your problem? Hang on, I'll just think through my problems. Yeah, <laughs> hello. There's one. If you haven't got a problem, please see Pastor Chris afterwards. Uh, most pastors have a few problems on their plate. He'll give you one of his. And if you have a life without a problem, I'd like to talk to you as well and discover how you have this miraculous life. But uh, I'm just going to think about my problem and get it out there. And I want to have a look this morning of what Jesus wants to do with that problem. Jesus is very interested in that problem you've got. He's fascinated by it. He's interested in what he can do with it. Is interested in what it's doing in you and through you. And I want to take you into the Bible and and show you a guy who had a a significant problem and how the Lord worked in his problem and how God moved him through his problem. So I'm going to jump into the book of Daniel. If you've got a Bible there, um, you can join with me. Whether you've got, uh, this is called a retro Bible, paper Bible, look at that, eh? whether you've got a digital Bible on your phone, iPad or whatever, Uh, Daniel chapter two, verse one. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. And one of the things I love about the book of Daniel, because I do like history, is that some of the chapters of Daniel were actually able to date. So the second year, of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, we're actually able to know what year that is. And in other chapters, not every chapter of Daniel, we're actually given the year of the king's reign and the name of the king. Uh, Daniel served under more than one king. Daniel served actually in two empires under multiple kings. He served for over 65 years in the courts of a king. And so we can work out that in the story, it does have an impact on the story. Daniel was probably around 17 or 18 years of age in this story. Is anyone here who's around 17, 18, 19? Anyone, anyone here? <laughs> you have had a very difficult life, sir, if you are that uh, age. And you have a lot of problems, we have to pray for you. Um, I, think, I think you're not quite telling me the truth about your age there. who's about 18 or 19, I saw a hand. And how old are you, young man? 17, could you stand up for me, please? What's your name? Joshua. Well, another Bible hero, but not quite Daniel, but that'll do. Um, Joshua, could you just turn around? Everyone have a look at Joshua, 17. This is what Daniel looked like. Well, not exactly, but, but you've got the right color hair. Daniel, no doubt. Middle Eastern orientation, dark hair, olive skin. And he looked this young. So Daniel in this story is not an old dude like me. Didn't have gray hair, was an older guy. He was a young guy like this. It has an impact on the story when you know the age of the character because what they do is interesting. Joshua, thank you for your help this morning. Great name as well. You, like me, have a Bible name. Not all pastors have Bible names. (laughs) Christ Brown. No, No, I don't think so. It's close, but no cigar. (laughs) no I wouldn't do that I wouldn't switch to Christ I think we'd sort of have a bit of worry about you if you did that Chris so here we have Daniel young 17 18 year old so Nebuchadnezzar had dreams his mind was troubled he could not sleep so the king summoned the magicians enchanters sorcerers and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed when they came in and stood before the king he said to them I've had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. And the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. That's what you say to kings generally. You kind of flatter them, and it'll never happen, of course, but it's good to say. May the king live forever. Uh, Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, and obviously the king had got out of the wrong side of bed that morning. He said, This is what I firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. Obviously a grumpy king on that morning. Obviously hadn't had his coffee, maybe he didn't have his bacon and eggs, who knows what. But he gets out of bed after a dream. He says, I'm just not going to tell you the dream. You tell me what the dream is and interpret it. And if you don't, I'll slice you and dice you and I'll bulldoze your houses. It'll be the end of your families." But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more, the wise man replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. The king answered, I'm certain you're trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there's only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream, and I know that you can interpret it for me. So the king is not only in a really bad mood, he's getting paranoid now. He thinks they're conspiring against him to manipulate the situation. Then the astrologers answered the king, They lift the ante here. There's no more may the king live forever. There's not a person on earth who can do what the king asks. They can't push him back strong against the king. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks, imagine saying this to the ruler of the greatest empire on the planet. What the king asks is too difficult. Oh my goodness. And Nebuchadnezzar was not a king to mess around with. He was a cruel, vindictive king who had no problem slaughtering people and killing people. But they just pushed back on him. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing. And what the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they don't live among human beings. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon which is a bit of a dumb idea if you're actually wanting those guys to tell you the dream and interpret it you can tell he's just in a fit of rage just kind of mist of rage through his mind he's going to kill all you guys the guys who are the solution to my problem he's going to wipe you off the planet he's just out of control now so the decree was issued to put the wise men to death and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. Daniel's amongst that cohort of noble men who were considered wise and counsellors and able to help the king in situations. Daniel obviously wasn't in that initial meeting, and when Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, in verse fourteen, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, "Why did the king issue such a harsh decree?" And Ariok then explained the matter to Daniel. Now, think about your problem again. Get it out there. Has anyone here got a bigger problem than Daniel? Anyone? Has anyone got a hitman from the Middle East out to kill you today? I just like to check when I preach this message. You never know in a crowd, there might be someone out there who has a mad Babylonian emperor out to kill you. Nope, no one. I would suggest to you that Daniel's problem is bigger than my problem, bigger than your problem. If we have a problem that is overwhelming, you are facing death from a king who has the ability to not put you into a court and have a judge decide your face. He just decides you're dead and that's it. It's over. He is the judge and he is the one who gives the sentence. And Daniel finds out what's going on. There's a dream. There's interpretation needed. And the king can't get it out of the wise men. And so he's just going to kill the lot of you. He's in a fit of rage. I want you to notice what this... Joshua, could you stand up for me again, please? Just do another spin. Have a look at Joshua. Look how young he is. My goodness. Not a gray hair in sight. Nice, smooth skin. No wrinkles. Awesome. Who wants to be 17 again? No. (laughs) No. Daniel was this young. Thanks, Josh, you can sit down. He was that young, but I want you to see what he does with his problem. At this, Daniel hightailed out of Babylon, immediately find a horse to ride away into the distant sunset. Doesn't say that. At this, Daniel went into the king. You see, you don't solve your problem by running away from it. You don't solve your problem by hiding away and hoping it will just disappear, just wishing that it would go away. Daniel says, well, we've got a problem here. Let me go and see the king. This is fairly typical, I think, of a young man. I think it kind of gives us a hint that Daniel was that. Typical young men, older guys like me would go, well, just give me a little minute. I need to go to the bathroom. I'd be climbing out the bathroom window and find a horse and getting out of town, man. I'm running. I'm out of there. But a young guy says, no. Take me to see the king. I love that. You and I will not solve our problems by pretending they don't exist, by hiding them away, by medicating against those problems. You and I, the call of Christ for believers is to get the problem, bring it out of the dark, face it. Face it. Look at square in the eye. I want you to look square in the eye. That problem. Some of you got it tucked away. You don't want to even, you kind of think, oh man, I wish John had preached another message this morning. Oh, why didn't I come to church today? Why didn't I have, why didn't I go to nippers myself today, let alone the kids? Because I don't want to think about that problem. I don't want to look at that problem. I'd rather have a problem-free life. But a believer is someone who has courage. Like Daniel, says, hey, Take me to the problem. I just I'm shocked by Daniel's courage to go in front the ruler of the Empire of the Day, Babylon. And look what he does. He says, King, just hold the execution order. Give us 24 hours. We can fix this baby. (laughs) It's the brashness of youth, isn't it? It's a man of faith and courage. Go. We, we can fix this, sucker. Come on, give us give us 24 hours, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. May you live forever, blah, blah, blah. Give us a bit of time. We can fix this. So that he might interpret the dream for him. Verse 17. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And then verse 18 gives us, I love the Bible because it gives us words that gives us insight into what's going on. Verse 18, he urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. I kind of see Daniel going, Ariok saying, you're going to die, man. It's all over. The king's going to kill all of you. And I hear Daniel go, no, no, take me to the king. I'll fix this into the king. Say, uh, listen, king, may you live forever. All that stuff. Amen. Uh, give us 24 hours. We can fix this problem. No problem. Leaves the king's court. Gets home and goes, what have I done? You me? he grabs hold of his mates he pulls them in and and look at the wording he says he urged them to plead for mercy this wasn't I think we should just have a little prayer here just ask the Lord maybe to help us get through this deal he says guys when you urge someone there's there's a sense of urgency there's a sense of we're going to get this done to plead God 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 you've got to come through you see that problem. God has a solution for that problem, that problem you've got. And you may have a problem that feels as big as this. You may have a problem that feels as overwhelming as this, that you feel like, John, there is no answer. John, this is a problem that needs a miracle. This is a problem that just won't go away. It's not a little problem. It's not a minor irritation. This is a dominating, intimidating thing. You know, God has a solution for your problem. God has an answer for your problem. God has a way through for your problem. And I think in this story, there is a key to that solution. How many people are praying for your problem? How many people are praying for it? Is it just you? God, God. Maybe it's you and a family member. Maybe it's you and you and you and that's it. Maybe you've never asked anyone to pray for that problem. How many people are praying that problem, how many people are before the God of heaven with your problem saying, Hey, Lord, come through for my friend, come through for my husband, my wife, my child? How many people are praying for that problem? I kind of feel that sometimes God withholds solutions, withholds answers until we humble ourselves and go to a friend, go to a family member, and say, You know what, this is kind of like I don't want to tell you this. Um, but I've got a problem. I uh, just someone to tell you the problem. I actually want to ask you, will you pray for my problem? Will you stand with me? Over the last uh, 15 years, Di and I have had people week in, week out, praying for our problems. We realized a number of years ago that we were trying to solve our problems by ourselves we're trying to find solutions trying to pray it through trying to get through ourselves after a while I kind of woke up took me way too long in my Christian life to wake up to the fact that you know what recruiting one or two or three or four or five people and saying hey here's a few deals for you to pray for Our, our prayer team is praying for me and for your church this few days while I'm with you They're praying that the Lord would give us some really tremendous times together, that God would give us some wisdom and some insight and some revelation during our time together over these few days. I actually don't leave Perth without knowing that my friends are praying for where I'm going. And I'm not saying you're the problem they're praying for. But I found that as people have stepped up, I remember once in my church for years, a number of years, I would suffer after my preaching, I'd preach a message, I'd step back, we'd sing the last song, and I'd kind of hang out back here, and for about 30 seconds, I'd have a voice in my head going, ah, it wasn't very good. Ah, it wasn't that flash. don't think that really worked. And for 30 seconds, and then we'd finish the song, I'd say, bless you folks, off you go, have a great week, and it kind of dissipate, and it would go. I didn't know if there was a demon in the drums, or I don't know if it was me. I, I eventually thought, you know what? I am slow on the uptake. You know what? I wonder if i got people to pray for this. So I sit down with our prayer team and I said, this is embarrassing to kind of share this, but regularly, this will be three out of four times I preach, I get this deflating thoughts in my head. And it's just like you give it your best shot and you go, you have to pick yourself up. I said, would you guys mind just starting to pray for this? Next Sunday, step back. No thoughts. Not one. have never had one since. I think it was the Lord saying, I'm going to teach you something, John. That if you're going to, in your arrogance and pride and independence, try and fix everything by yourself, you're going to discover that your resources are limited. And I wonder if some of our problems... We live with too long because we don't humble ourselves. We don't go to a friend and say, you know, there it is, my problem. I'm going to challenge you today. I'm going to give you 48 hours. I'm not a nice guy like your pastor. I give you 48 hours to recruit at least one person to pray one of your problems that you don't have to get them to pray for the most serious and difficult and personal problem you can kind of get a get a minor problem and get a friend begin to pray for it and ask them would you pray for this problem for the next couple of weeks every single day I found when people do this what their friends do is say oh thank you for bringing me into your life actually I've got a problem too would you mind pray for my problem and you can kind of exchange problems I say hey yeah I'm, I'm really happy to pray for your problem I believe, it's fascinating, when you look at the life of Paul, that probably about one out of five, one out of every four references Paul writes about prayer in the New Testament, is him actually asking for prayer. It's not just him talking about prayer, pray, seek the Lord and so on. It's actually him asking, pray for me. And sometimes he's very specific in what he asks for. Who's praying for your problem? Daniel urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the the rest of the wise men of Babylon and during the night, because I don't think they slept much that night. The mystery is revealed to Daniel in a vision. And look at this prayer of Daniel that's recorded. It's a great prayer. It's kind of a good prayer to prick up for your own prayer life, actually. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. We've been singing that this morning. How beautiful, how wonderful, how powerful is his name. Wisdom and power are his. And Daniel's making a declaration about God here. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. You can hear this faith in God above even King Nebuchadnezzar. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the him. He reveals deep and hidden things. God is the revealer. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. And he switches from this magnifying, praising God to this kind of personal, I thank and praise you, God, of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. Listen to the language. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. When you get your friends praying for your problem, God steps up and begins to reveal things that are solutions to the problem. And Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon. He said to him, don't execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king and I will interpret his dream for him. So awesome. He just believes God has spoken and is that brash 17, 18 year old. Take me to the king. I've got the solution. And the king asked, uh, sorry, verse 25, Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. And the king asked Daniel, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, no. Wise man, chanter, magician or diviner can explain to the king the mysteries asked about, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. I believe God not only has a solution for your problem. He has a revelation he wants to bring to you through your problem. Now I need a couple of strong guys up here. So could you come up and help me? What's your name? Simon, thanks, Simon. Would you mind coming here? Another good Bible name. There's quite a few in this church. It's wonderful. Is it Scotty? Frosty? Why did I call you Scotty? I don't know. They'll take that. Okay. What's your What's your first name again? Anthony. Tony. I'm just trying to think if Anthony's in the Bible. Frosty's there somewhere. I'm sure. Could you two gentlemen come and just stand up against me, shoulder to shoulder, just shoulder on my shoulder, just squeeze in a little bit, not too hard. Pick some very strong men here, I'll see how I go, just squeeze it a bit harder, oh not too hard, I want to show you a picture that I want to leave in your mind about the word for problem in the New Testament, there's a word for problem, it's the Greek word philipsis, I just like to say that, makes me look like I'm smart, doesn't really matter, but this problem, it's, it's the word that's translated trial, tribulation, the Really, our current language would use the word problem. Jesus said, in this world, you will have a happy, carefree life all the time. No, you know your Bible, don't you? He didn't say, he said, in this world, you'll have problems. And this is this Greek word. And But be of good cheer because I've overcome the world, which sometimes doesn't seem to help. But anyway, the Lord said that, so we've got to believe that. But here's this word picture. And the picture is a place that you enter into. You can squeeze in a bit now. Uh, that that is a narrow place. It's like it's like going through a valley that tightens and tightens. You know those old cowboy movies. These guys are squeezing hard now. They're having fun. <laughs> they're going to pick on the guy from WA. It's okay, lean in. It's okay. It's all right. You know those cowboy movies when they kind of on a big trail and suddenly they're in a canyon and it gets narrower and narrower and narrow, and they're all looking up for the Indians going to get them with the arrows and everything like that. That's that's the picture of this word, squeezing. And because this this problem. Is designed to press you into a certain shape and it's designed to teach you something about Jesus, something about yourself. And what you can do when you face a problem is you can pop out the back and go, I've had enough of that problem. I'm not looking at that problem. I don't care about that problem. That problem's too much hassle. You haven't asked any friends to pray for that problem. And you can just retreat from the problem. Oh, man, I feel relief. Oh, relief. But it's not a great relief. It's a peace that is delusional. God wants you back in, guys. Well done. Awesome. That's brilliant. That's it. You go hard. It's all right. I'm from WA. I'm strong. Because God wants that problem to shape you, to give you a revelation of who you are, what you have, what you don't have, who he is in the middle of the problem. So that when you get your friends praying for the problem and the solution comes, you come out the other side going, oh, I know the Lord differently. I know myself, I'm a different shape now because I've been squeezed by that problem. That problem has shaped me into a different place. And when Daniel went into seeing King Nebuchadnezzar, he was a different man because God had spoken to him. God had shown him. He walked in there with a confidence and a faith and a courage. Why? Because this problem had shaped him differently. Thanks, guys. Please thank these two gentlemen for squashing me. God has a revelation. He wants to speak to you in the middle of your your problem as a person of faith. If you're not a person of faith, if you're out there, problems are a pain in the neck. A problem is a gift from God to teach you about Jesus, to show you about yourself, and to take you to places that you would not have gone otherwise. Daniel, I won't read the whole dream and interpretation, It's probably one of the greatest prophecies of the Old Testament about the coming of Christ. It's a stunning dream. And the weird thing about this chapter, the weird thing, is God does not give the dream to Daniel. He gives it to an evil, pagan, ungodly king. If I was God, I would say, Daniel, you're my man. Have this dream interpretation. Write it in the book so people can read it and go, wow, look at that. A prophecy about Jesus. The rock made without hands that will calm and establish his kingdom forever and ever. His dominion will endure forever. Man, that would be awesome. God says, no, 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 no. I want to give this dream to the world, to the church, to the people of God. But I want to bring it through a problem. Because I have a purpose in the problem. And you find eventually God's purpose and the problem at the end of the chapter. Chapter 2, verse 48. As Daniel tells the king the dream and the interpretation, here's the result, verse 48. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon. Joshua, one last time for me, please stand up. How would you like Joshua ruling New South Wales? Man, you've got to vote of confidence, eh? political future, my son. I, I mean, look at him. He's so young. So young. Thanks, man. God says, you know, Daniel, I actually set you up with this problem. Because I wanted you to humble yourself to get your friends praying. Because I wanted to show you how I can work in the midst of the most difficult circumstances. But ultimately, Daniel, you know what I had in mind? I wanted to take you somewhere you would not have gone without this problem. The king placed Daniel in a high position, lavished many gifts on him, made him ruler of, oh my goodness, an 18-year-old ruling over the entire province of Babylon, the center of the empire placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators. Daniel said, excuse me, king, uh, I've got a few buddies here, a few mates. Um, can you kind of make them kind of big dudes as well? King said, yeah, sure, why not? Go for it. Can you imagine? Four teenagers running the province of Babylon. <sighs> Noah made administrators over the province of Babylon, while well, Daniel himself remained at the royal court. I'm going to challenge you today. Give you 48 hours. Go and find some people who'll pray for one of your problems. I had a lady, I preached this message in a church middle of last year. I got an email back from the pastor. She'd had a significant health issue for two years. And she was challenged as I preached this message. And she contacted some friends. She was from South Africa. She contacted friends back in South Africa. And the email, I've got a copy of it there. She wrote, she said, I felt quite humbled having to ask my friends to pray for me. She said, over a matter of months, the Lord healed me. My physiotherapist was kind of like, this is quite amazing. You shouldn't get this well again. You should just be managing this health issue. But she got healed over a number of months. Why? She put it down to dealing with her arrogance of being independent. Said I had to humble myself, ask my friends for help. She's now got a revelation, a personal, experiential revelation of Christ's ability to heal. Why? Because she humbled herself. Why don't you close your eyes while you're sitting. I want you to make a great decision today Well, every eye is closed. I want you to think of that problem or maybe another problem. I want you to think about who could pray for my problem? Who could I trust to pray? Who could I trust to keep my problem confidential? Who could I ask to pray? Maybe it's one, two, three, four. Maybe it's just one person. I want you to make a great commitment and decision today. I'm going to get one person at least praying for this problem. Sometimes I'll actually ask my friends, give me something to pray for you. Tell me one of your problems that I can be praying for you. I love praying for my friends because I've seen God answer so many prayers over 44 years of following Him. I love praying for my friends' problems take them on my heart, pray for them, pray them through, praying for my kids' problems, praying for my grandsons. I want you to make a great decision this morning, right now, in this meeting. Lord, I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to get a friend or two or a family member praying for my problem. Every eye closed. I want you to seal that decision just by simply raising your hand high in the air. Make that commitment right now. Go ahead, raise your hand high in there. Make that decision right now. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. thank you. Thanks on my left, thank you on my left. Thanks down the back, thanks in the middle here. Thanks on the front. Thank you in the middle. It's a great decision to make. You, you might be thinking, you know what, my prayer life's a mess. I don't pray enough myself. How can I ask someone else to pray? Maybe this might kick your prayer life along into a place where you want it to be. Maybe when your friend says, you pray for my problem. If someone says, you pray for my problem, you say, well, I don't pray that much. Don't say that to them. Say, sure, it'll get you praying. It'll move you into a place of prayer that you mightn't currently be in. Never be so embarrassed by your lack of own spirituality to knock back a request or to ask for a request. Humble yourself you haven't yet raised your hand but you're making that commitment decision today go ahead now and raise your hand high and put it down again go ahead right now thank you thank you it takes humility to do this but god can bring a solution god can bring a revelation maybe you're sitting here today and you've never made a decision to believe in jesus christ and to follow him maybe you've never made that commitment to Put your faith in the Son of God who died 2,000 years ago, rose again on the third day, ascended to the right hand of the Father, that you might be forgiven for your sins and that you might have eternal life. If you've never made that decision, but today you're saying, you know what, John, today I'm deciding to put my faith in Jesus. If today that's your decision, I want you to confirm that decision by, again, just simply raising your hand high in there and put it down again. Go ahead. If today is this day, your day of salvation, where you're putting your faith in Jesus, you're making that commitment to believe in him, go ahead, simply raise your hand high, put it down again, to make that commitment to Jesus Christ. Sense a stirring in your heart. To believe in him. To put your faith in him. Father, I'm praying for everyone. So many people here making great decisions today. To take up that challenge. To humble themselves. To ask a friend to pray for their problem. Give them the grace to follow through. To commit themselves. To doing that very thing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.